Uh, we can turn back to the chapter we read there in Matthew chapter 13, and we can reread verses 31 to 33 and verses 47 to 50. Uh, verse 31, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, a um, woman took and hid in three measures of flour till all was to, till it was all leavened. And then in verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, <clears throat> so far we have looked at uh, four of these seven parables. The first parable, as we know, is the parable of the sower. And then there's the second parable of the wheat and the weeds. And then there's the third parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. The third and fourth parables, sorry. And then there's the fifth and sixth parables. Uh, the fifth, the hidden treasure. And the sixth, the pearl of great value. And then lastly, there's this parable of the net or the drag net that is often called because it is about a specific kind of net. The, you may wonder why we haven't gone through them sequentially and I have no explanation for that at all. Um, just the way um, <clears throat> things happened. And so we're going to look tonight at the two in the middle and the last one. But um, before we do, we can have a brief summary because the, the entire chapter is the message. And it's important to remember that. The entire chapter is describing for us what the kingdom of Jesus is going to be like between his first and second coming. And therefore, it's important for us uh, to know what it says so that we will not be surprised by certain things that happen. And you just have a summary of that before we then go on to think about the significance of the kingdom. What is meant by the kingdom? Because after all, the term kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, 
It's got lots of different meanings in the Bible. For example, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Is Jesus there speaking about the same kingdom that he's speaking about in Matthew chapter 13? And I think the answer is he's not. Because in Matthew chapter 13, there's plenty of people who are not born again. And yet, they're in the kingdom. So what is the kingdom? That's described in Matthew 13. And then, thirdly, we'll think about this surge. I think that's the only word fit to describe it. The surge that's described in parables 3 and 4 with this uh, reference to the mustard seed that becomes the tree and the leaven that percolates through all the flower. What's that describing about the kingdom of God? And then, fourthly, in the parable number seven, there's separation. That's what the parable's about there. The parable of the dragnet, separation that is coming. And after that, maybe uh, a couple of applications. So, so far, what have we seen? Well, the parable of the sower, there's two kinds of responses, isn't there? There's a good response and a bad response. And with regard to each of the responses, there's three different levels of response. I mean, Jesus talks about those, <coughs> the, as far as the, the bad response is concerned, there's the ones that initially dismiss it, the seed that just lands beside the path. And then, of course, there's the second kind when um, the seeds that fall on rocky ground and the sun comes up and scorches them. And Jesus just says that's things that happen in life, like persecution and opposition, and causes people to give up. And he mentions then the third kind of bad response, that the seed that's thrown among thorns and the cares of this life just bring it to an end. Three negative responses. There's also three positive responses in that parable. And we might just run over them because we think there's only one response being described, but there's actually three. Because there's the ones that produce 30-fold, and some that produce 60-fold, and some that produce 100-fold. And there's obviously a big difference between those who produce 30 and those who produce a hundred. So there's two responses to the kingdom. And then in the next parable, that of the wheat and the weeds, there's two sores in the kingdom. And we might find that rather surprising. But since it's Jesus that actually says that's the case, then we have to accept that there's two sores in the kingdom. And uh, one of the sores is Jesus himself. He is, and in this parable, the parable of the 
wheat in the weeds. The, it's not the message that has been sowed. In the first parable, it is the message. But in the second parable, it's not the message. It's people. And Jesus says that, that he sows what he calls wheat, and the devil sows what Jesus calls weeds. And both of them are sowed in the kingdom. So there's two sores active throughout this kingdom. And that's something important for us to remember as well. We just can't um, forget that. And then we thought about the, the man who found the hidden treasure and also the man, the merchant, who was seeking for good pearls. And that, of course, tells us about the cost of the kingdom. How much is the kingdom going to cost? Well, at one level, it doesn't cost anything. Because there you are, the treasure just lands at your feet. And the pearl of great price, well, you just come across it. It doesn't cost you anything. But at the same time, rather strangely, it costs you everything. Because the man who found the treasure in the field, he went and sold all that he had in order to buy the field and get the treasure. And the man with, uh, who discovered the pearl of great value, he too went and sold all that he had to get that pearl that he just came across. So there in these parables we, can, we are seeing that the, what is the cost of the kingdom? And of course, everybody loves a bargain. And to be told that the gospel is free that's amazing, isn't it? Salvation is free. But what does the Savior demand? He demands everything. He demands our soul, our life, our all, as Isaac Watts put it. But it's only the cost of the kingdom, as seen in these two parables of the of the hidden treasure and the valuable pearl. There's also the priority of the kingdom. I mean, how long did each of these gentlemen get to think about it? After he found the hidden treasure, was he a, did he go and consult his financial advisors to see whether or not he should risk everything on getting this treasure that some or other he's just come across? And the same goes with the man who's found a pearl of great value. When has he got to buy it? And the answer, of course, is right away. In the, in the parable, that is the answer, immediately. You're not allowed to delay in purchasing what is free. And, of course, Jesus is stressing something there, isn't he? And, and just because in his mercy up until now, people have experienced finding a treasure after rejecting it on numerous occasions, it's not an argument that they can re reject it one more time. When is the response to be given to the gospel? 
What's the only authority we have regarding the time of a person's response? And the only authority we have is now. Can't say the deal will be available tomorrow, but it's available now. And that's the message of these two parables. And it is interesting, I think, isn't it, that with regard to the parable of the sower, there's two kinds of responses. And with the parable of the wheat and the weeds, there's two sores. And in the parables of the value of the kingdom, there's two kingdoms. And then when we come to think about the growth of the kingdom, there's two parables there as well, as if Jesus is just giving everything in doubles. But when we come to the last parable, there's only one. And we'll think about that when we get on. Anyway, that's, that's the summary. And that leads us on, secondly, to think about the significance of the kingdom. What is the kingdom in these illustrations? As I mentioned earlier, it's not the same kingdom as Jesus speaks about in John chapter 3 when he addresses Nicodemus. When he says to Nicodemus, as we know, unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the eternal kingdom. The kingdom in which only saved sinners are found. A kingdom that is made up of those who once uh, were dead in their sins, that have been made alive, and are now members of his kingdom. But in this particular kingdom here, Matthew 13, well, there's good responses and bad responses. There's wheat and there's weeds. And when we come to the seventh parable, there's good fish and bad fish. And they're all in the kingdom. So the kingdom is not the heavenly kingdom. But then neither is it everybody in the world. It's only in the parable of the sower, it's those who have heard the message. And in the wheat and the tears is those who have, who have connected to the, to the followers of, of Jesus and those who oppose them. And the suggestion has been made, and I'll just repeat it to see what you think about it, but the suggestion has been made that the kingdom here in Matthew 13 is just a visible church. That's the kind of kingdom where there's a, an awareness uh, that Jesus reigns. So in Matthew 13, as we read down all these different parables, it's all about this visible expression of where Jesus reigns, the visible church. And I, sometimes when you're not entirely sure, Look up to see what other people say about it. So I looked up to see what Bishop Ryle said about it. And he said, quite clearly, it refers to the visible church. And he said this, The visible church is set before us here as a mixed body, 
It is a vast field in which wheat and weeds grow side by side. We must expect to find believers and unbelievers, converted and unconverted, the children of the kingdom and the children of the wicked one, all mingle together. And then he says this. All mingle together in every congregation of baptized people. I mean, that is quite solemn, isn't it? In this particular set of seven parables, Jesus is not thinking of people out there. He's not thinking of people who have never heard the gospel. Rather, he is speaking of those who have heard it. And as we can see from the parable of the sower, they've all made some kind of response, haven't they? And even among the negative responses, initially there's two that are very good. Because one of these negative responses, they immediately receive it with joy. And of course, if we saw that, we would be saying, amazing. But Jesus tells us, this is what the kingdom's like. And we have to listen to what he has to say. So here's the visible church. And what can we say about the visible church? Well, Jesus tells us what to say in the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. It's going to have very small beginnings. Is that not what a mustard seed points to? And is that not what leaven points to? Both of them are very small. And when we think about when the kingdom of Jesus started, I mean, how small it was. I mean, he's been here on earth for three years, going around Palestine, doing all kinds of miracles. How many followers has he got? Well, the largest figure we have is 500 who gathered to meet him on one occasion after his resurrection. I mean, where are the thousands who took part in the feeding of the 5,000? And of course, it's far more than 5,000 that were fed. There's only 5,000 men. But if you don't add to that women and children, but I mean, where are they? I mean, they accepted him with great enthusiasm. They wanted to make him a king. But their commitment lasted less than a week. And they wanted him not to be alive anymore. But the point that Jesus is making, he's telling his disciples here, the kingdom's going to start small, like a grain of mustard seed. And like leaven. But although it's got small beginnings, it's going to have dramatic growth. And it's not just dramatic growth, but surprising growth. I mean, who would expect a mustard seed to become a tree? Well, anybody would, because that's what they saw in life. In Palestine, mustard seeds became trees. 
but the mustard seed was so little small, how can that possibly become as big bush that it would eventually become? And Jesus says that about the church. It's going to become enormous. We can see that from the parable of the leaven. It's actually going to percolate the whole, whatever it was the person was making loaf. Its influence is going to extend. And nothing seems to be able to stop it. It's going to be an incredible kingdom. Of course, one of the parables there, the mustard seed, tells us that the growth is visible. You can see it. You just have to walk past the garden, and there's the mustard seed getting bigger and bigger. But as the leaven, well, who sees the leaven? It's unseen, and yet it's working continually. And the kingdom is just growing and growing. Read the book of Acts. What's happening there? Well, you go to the day of Pentecost, where there they're gathered all the thousands who six weeks before this were shouting for the death of Jesus. What's the point of preaching to them? And if you are going to say anything to them, they should be just warned and rebuked and so on for their actions. But what's the point of preaching to those who had crucified Jesus? Well, what was the point of doing it? Since 3,000 were converted. I mean, that's the point of doing it. But they were to expect that. It's going to happen in unlikely places. And he reads through the book of Acts, there, Jerusalem after that, 5,000 converted and so on. And even then, when you go out into the Gentile world, I mean, how can you possibly expect people like that to be converted quickly? But what happened when they went? As, as Luke describes the journeys of Paul, and to all these cities that he goes to with the gospel and stays in each of them for a couple of weeks. And in each of them, a church appears and flourishes. And the kingdom is just growing in ways that we cannot understand. It's incredible. And it's been happening ever since. I mean, what's the biggest kingdom in the world today? It's not China with its vast millions. The biggest kingdom in the world today acknowledges Jesus. And if the people are correct who tell us all this, the rate of growth of the kingdom is far bigger now than it's ever been. And we're better to expect Christian growth and in a non-Christian society. Of course, we have to ask ourselves, is the growth here good or bad? Do you think the growth in the parable of the mustard seed is good in light of the other parables? Or do you think the good, the picture of the leaven is good 
in light of the other parables. I mean, some people look at the parable of the mustard seed and they spot the birds. The birds come and sit in the branches. And they look at it and they say, well, are birds referred to anywhere else in this chapter? Yeah, and of course they are. They're referred to in the parable of the sower, where they come and take away the seed. So they assume, well, birds in the first parable are bad, so they must be bad in the second parable. And then there's also others who point out that normally in the Bible, leaven is a picture of evil. And where you, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they couldn't have any leaven in them. So they look at these parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, and they say, well, this is, there's bad things in the kingdom. But personally, I'm not sure about that. But that's what Jesus is saying here. I think he's just saying his kingdom is going to keep on growing. And it's going to grow exponentially. And it's going to grow in surprising places. And we are to expect it. It's the norm. It's the norm for his kingdom to increase in vast numbers. And we shouldn't be at all surprised at what's going on in the world today if all these figures are correct. We're not to sit back and say, well, that can't be happening. Because Jesus here has told us that his kingdom will grow and grow and grow. And there's no inconsistency between saying that and between saying that in it there'll be things that are wrong. What he's actually saying here is quite encouraging, isn't it? He's actually saying that the imperfection of the church is not a barrier to its growth, which is quite extraordinary. So that's the surge. It would be great to see a surge, wouldn't it? You know, there's never yet been a surge that produced a perfect church. But it would be great to see a surge. And then there's separation to the seventh parable. It's obvious this is a conclusion to the seven. And we have to ask ourselves, what question does the other six parables raise? What question does the parable of the sower raise? Three right and three wrong. Well, how do we know who's right and who's wrong? parable doesn't tell us. It just says there's three this response and three that response. But who is going to confirm it? Parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus says, surprisingly, at one level, about the weeds, the tares, Don't get rid of them. 
leave them. Is that going to be the case forever? And the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value, was that just over-enthusiasm? Were the individuals there who sold everything, were they far too zealous? And the master's seed on the leaven. Well, is it all as good as it looks? What's the question? The question is, as answered in Parable 7, the judgment day. And here in this parable, we're brought to the judgment day. The net. This is not a small fishing net. This is not the net that's used, you could say, by uh, Thomas Boston in his book, The Art of Man Fishing where a fisherman tries to coax a fish into his net. This is not a small personal net. The net that's described here is kind of the equivalent of the modern trawlers. You know, they just go out there and they can just deplete the whole seabed in half an hour. Just gather in everything that's there. And that's the kind of net that's here. <laughs> and how long has the net been in the water? I mean, that's the question we're to ask of this parable. The net has been in the water the whole Christian era. You and I are in the net. As we sit here, we're in it. But one day, the net's going to be full. And, and it's not going to be full of good fish. I mean, that's the important thing, isn't it? It's not going to be full of good fish. Because when the moment comes to drag it ashore, that's where we'll find out what's in it. And the people who are dragging it to the shore are not fishermen. They're angels. They're not fishermen looking for a catch. They're angels dealing with the catch. It's not a picture of the gospel net. The net here is a picture of the kingdom. And this kingdom, up until its last minute on earth, is going to have good and bad in it. And that's very solemn.
You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 about Jesus. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. But he delivers it after destroying every rule and every authority and power. His role, we want to put it this way, is to get rid of his kingdom everything that offends. And this great judgment day is coming. So I just want to make some applications. What will happen to those who have gospel privileges? I mean, that is the main question that arises here. It's not enough to be beside it. I mean, one can be in the net and not be in Christ. One can be in this kingdom and not know the king. And that's very serious. These parables tell us there's only two types of people in the world. But it also tells us there's only two types of people in the kingdom. And the two types of people are the righteous and the wicked. When Jesus says that, there in the parable of the dragnet, the angels shall come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And since that is the case, we have to ask ourselves who the righteous are. I mean, who are the righteous? They are going to be gathered into these containers because they're going to be useful. Well, we know the answer, don't we? The righteous are those who trust in Jesus. They heard the message of the kingdom. And they heard about this way of becoming righteous in God's sight. And they heard the message and they embraced it. And the moment they believed, their sins were forgiven. And they were regarded as righteous in God's sight, totally right with him forever. What a wonderful standing. And it's it's good to have that. But that's not the only description of righteousness in the Bible. Think of the parable of the sheep and the goats. The righteous and the unrighteous. Another picture of the final separation. Who are the righteous? Well, Jesus tells us who they are. They are those who did all kinds of little things 
They visited the hungry, fed the hungry. They visited the sick. They went to prisons to meet people. A whole range of little acts. In all this list of things given describing the righteous, no martyrs are mentioned. No illustrious Christians are mentioned. It's just all kinds of little things. But as Jesus says, inasmuch as you did not unto the least of these, you did not to me. And then the righteous shall go into the kingdom prepared for them. And of course, all that Jesus is saying there is that his message changes people. It doesn't just make them righteous as far as their justification is concerned. But it makes them righteous in the way they live. They're not perfect. But they are righteous. So how do we know we're righteous? It's not hard to work it out. We believe in Jesus. And we see his grace at work in our lives. I think this chapter is one of the most solemn in the Bible. And it calls us to our reality. Parables. What's a parable for? We'll stop with this, but what's a parable for? A parable is to use your imagination. It's a story. <clears throat> the proof that something is a good story is that you end up in it. It so grips your imagination that you actually find yourself in the story. You read the Pilgrim's Progress by Banyan. You're not meant to read about somebody else. You read about yourself. Hear this parable of the dragnet. We're meant to imagine things. Not imagine them because they're fantasy. But to imagine them because they haven't happened yet. Imagine the day when the angels appear. I mean, Jesus says that often, that they're going to come. Paul says it. Imagine the day they appear, these heavenly warriors. No longer on what we could call missions of mercy. No longer to shut the lion's mouth and so on. But they're here for another reason. Imagine it. That day's coming. Imagine being examined to see which container we should go into. 
because it's going to happen. We are going to be examined. It's not that everybody else is going to be judged and I'm just going to amble through. We are going to be tested. Imagine the separation. An awful separation. The ultimate separation. Imagine the outcome. You know, one of the surprising things about the parable, well, surprising at least to me, is that we're not told what the righteous think. But we are told what the wicked will think. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. will be bad enough to hear one person doing this. What will it be like to hear millions? Millions and millions. And it's coming. Jesus didn't tell us all this because he wanted to spoil our lives. He's told us all this to know what the kingdom's going to be like and also to tell us what's going to happen at the end. It's going to be a solemn day. You and I, we're in the net. It's our responsibility to make sure but when the end comes, we're in the right containers. That's our responsibility. Shall we pray?